Birth Association and IndieBirth.com. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to Indie Birth's series of podcasts here on iTunes, Taking Back Birth. I'm Marin, and today we're going to be talking about jaundice in your newborn baby. What an exciting subject, huh? It actually is, I think. And as a woman, as a parent, as a mother that has had now seven children, it's a subject that is near and dear to my heart because my very first baby, who was born in the hospital, did have a significant amount of jaundice, and I didn't know anything about it. I had no idea what it was, what it was caused by, and the windup you know, wasn't horrible or terrible, but it just left me feeling really not informed and not empowered and taking my little tiny baby in to get a heel prick every day of her very new life to check her bilirubin levels was quite traumatic and I think probably did affect more than I realized at the time, such as breastfeeding and weight gain and that kind of thing. So it's a complicated subject in a sense, jaundice in the newborn, and I am not a doctor, so this isn't a medical presentation. However, as a midwife and as a mother, I want to share with you what I have learned and what I try and help parents learn before the birth so that they can be ready. Because even with a wonderful normal home birth, if parents were to choose to take their newborn into a pediatrician, not because anything's wrong, just because, you know, some parents feel that they should or that, you know, the baby needs a checkup by a medical professional, which is totally legitimate, um, you have to be prepared for the other side of that coin, which is often the medical professional, such as the pediatrician, will have different thoughts and feelings about jaundice. And more times than not, in my experience, this has led to a lot of fear and questioning. And um, in my own experience as a midwife, knock on wood, I haven't actually seen anything but normal jaundice. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, um, you know, when I've had clients or moms go into a pediatrician and been given a giant scare about jaundice and fed a lot of untrue myths about jaundice, it makes me very angry because these have all turned out to be completely normal, healthy babies, which of course is what we all knew they were before they even went in. So this is a subject that, you know, leaves you a little on the defensive if you don't know what's going on or what a baby should look like or what to look for. So again, I'm really hoping to share this with you today so that you can remain calm, you can remain at home with your normal healthy newborn um, in the event of normal physiological jaundice. And of course, you know, if you have doubts or if things seem uh, really strange or, or baby seems not well, then that's a different story. But we're starting from the premise of a normal healthy baby, whether that baby was born in the hospital or born at home. And again, the hospital babies may be more prone to um, sort of this investigation, I guess, because they're already on the radar of doctors and pediatricians. But again, just as many home birth babies have fallen into this unfortunate trap as well, uh, even winding up in the hospital for, you know, labs and phototherapy. So home birth babies are not immune to the jaundice scare that is out there uh, by the medical world. So, you know, why is this? I'm sure you'll agree with me. I'll just spend a little bit of time saying that um, a lot of it is 
is uh, political in the sense of nobody wants to be blamed for a baby that gets sick. I mean, that's the worst thing really anybody can think of. Pregnancy, of course, is very uh, scary in the medical world, but a newborn baby is possibly the scariest thing I think most doctors have ever seen. Uh, that everybody is just so afraid of a baby getting sick. And rightfully so. Nobody wants a sick baby. And as a mother, that would be the last thing you want. But I think their perspective is kind of skewed. Again, when they're seeing normal, healthy babies, I'm not sure that they're always aware of that because they do see lots of pathology. In fact, pediatricians are trained in pathology in children. Um, and if they're seeing lots of, you know, C-section babies or hospital birth babies, they may not be seeing jaundice to the extent that um, a home birth baby will experience it, possibly. And we'll talk about, you know, some risk factors and what to look for. So I think it's sort of outside of their range of normal a lot of the time. And again, it's the wanting to protect themselves from any kind of legal action should your baby really become sick. Um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the windup. Uh, that's why I think it's probably as bad as it is. And certainly in your town or you know wherever you live, it may not be. You may have really open, knowledgeable, holistic pediatricians that are aware of how the body works. Uh, but in our small town here, there's quite a few that are are happy to. Um, scare parents about jaundice and even call, you know, child protective services if they do run labs on a baby and then the parents refuse treatment for very good reason because the treatment isn't without risk either. So, okay, that's a lot of intro to this tiny little course here I'm going to give you. Now, I do present this course about jaundice to midwives and midwife students so that they feel really knowledgeable and informed so that they're not scared and so that they can present this information to the parents. And I'm kind of going to be using a similar outline. In fact, I'm looking at my outline right now, but I'm not going to go into um, the sort of thing I don't think parents would be as interested in. So maybe some of the physiology I'll skip and just sort of um, give you the overview. I want you again as parents to just feel like you understand the basics. And then of course, you have to look at your own baby and connect there and you know, ask those questions as far as is this good? Is this normal? But here are the basics. So jaundice and the newborn jaundice and new parents, what is there to learn today? Let's see. So first of all, we have to just say what jaundice is. There could be many people listening to this that have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. So um, jaundice, whether it happens in a newborn or an adult, and if it happens in an adult, it's kind of serious, but if it happens in anybody, uh, the skin basically turns a yellowish color. And that can obviously be frightening. I think that's part of the issue too, is the visual of having a newborn baby who's whites of the eyes look yellow. So that's what it looks like. You can look up pictures on Google or wherever. Um, I always think that the babies who are jaundiced look tan. So they look like they've sat out in the sun and the whites of the eyes again, maybe yellow. And you really can see it pretty well in direct comparison to your skin, most likely, um, whether you're dark skinned or light skinned, it will just have a, a different hue than, you know, your normal skin tone color or your baby's normal skin tone color. So why does this happen? Um, the short story is bile, which is made from the liver, builds up in the bloodstream. And when, when the red blood cells are broken down, um, 
it creates bilirubin. And the bilirubin is the substance that you're literally seeing through the skin as a color. So that's what it is. Uh, other words for it, it a neonatal bilirubinemia, that's pretty medical, but you can see where that comes from. Um, the, the Greek was icterus neonatorum, and icterus came from a Greek word, icteros, which was a yellow bird thought to cure jaundice if seen. So that was kind of a myth they had back then. But again, the yellow, and obviously neonatorum. So here's the the most important point, if you come away with nothing else, you don't remember what jaundice means or what word it comes from. It is normal. It is what we call physiological, just like we talk about physiological birth, right? The way birth should work, the way birth works normally without any interference. Um, neonatal jaundice or um, neonatal bilirubinemia is a benign process in a normal, healthy newborn, it's normal. Isn't that amazing? I don't think most people know that. It is a normal process in a normal healthy newborn after 24 hours of life, if that makes sense. So we'll talk about a couple circumstances where jaundice may not be normal, just so you have a feel for that. And before a baby's 24 hours old, it could be not normal. But that rarely, rarely happens because again, most babies are normal and healthy. So usually seen after the baby is 24 hours old. And again, it's a slight yellowing of the skin. And you're going to see it from, you know, starting in the face. So the eyes will be the first thing to turn a little bit yellow, although that could be the freakiest, possibly, of things to see. Um, and then jaundice progresses down the body, the worse it gets. So we'll, we may talk more about that. I'm not sure if we'll get that far. Um, but you know, a baby that is truly jaundiced, yellow, down to its feet, is indeed a very jaundiced and possibly very sick baby. So in a normal circumstance, again, we're going to see a yellowish face and yellowish eyes and, you know, possibly a yellowish chest and probably not too much uh, farther down on the newborn body than that. And the way you assess a yellow color would be just visual. You want to look in good light. So, you know, um, sunlight would be best probably. Remove the baby's clothing if you need to. And then you're going to blanch down on the skin with your finger. So you're going to blanch down on the skin and let the, let the color refill so you can accurately see it. Most of the time, you don't even need to blanch. It's pretty clear if a baby's jaundiced just by the yellow of the eyes. And again, the yellowish tone of the face and possibly chest in comparison to the rest of the body. You'll probably notice that difference. So again, normal, this is normal. We'll get into more about what's normal. But for, an, for a baby, for a healthy baby, this is not a sickness. And again, jaundice in other circumstances, um, such as in an adult, would, would be considered pathological or something wrong, something sick. So I'm not going to go too much into, you know, how Billy Rubin gets broken down. Um, just understand the, the most important points, which is babies live in a different environment when they're inside our uteruses. So they're called fetuses, right? And the fetal circulation is different than when a baby is born and starts to breathe oxygen on this side. Um, the fetus, so when the baby's in the uterus, has a lower oxygen saturation, and they make more red blood cells. So just think about that. They make more red blood cells, 
and their red blood cells don't live as long. So our red blood cells as adults live about 120 days and fetal red blood cells live between 70 and 90 days. So two reasons right there that when a baby comes out and has to switch to um, infant, you know, newborn circulation, not going to be using the placenta anymore, that there are some reasons why there are extra red blood cells. And that's the most important thing to remember, that that's normal. A baby is born and this is how it's supposed to be. This is how nature works. This is how placental circulation becomes um, newborn circulation where the blood is going to start to go through the heart and go through the liver and the intestines. Uh, in a fetus, this does not happen. The blood bypasses some places in favor you know, of the brain and the way the placenta is running the blood through. So again, it is normal that when a baby is born, they will have more red blood cells to get rid of, is what I'm trying to say. They will have more to break down because we all break down red blood cells, but a baby is going to have tons more uh, and they don't live as long. So there are even more. So what is uh, bilirubin? It's the breakdown of red blood cells. And what is jaundice? Jaundice is the release of the bilirubin. So more red blood cells means more bilirubin, which means jaundice. And again, that's why that is normal. We must understand that. And that is something that, you know, it's, isn't that complicated, really. I think most people working with babies would have a general understanding about, um, you know, the way the circulation changes and this red blood cell idea. But indeed, somehow I'm, it must get overlooked here and there. So there are obviously other things that are going to affect um, how jaundice this normal healthy baby is. Even if this baby does have red blood cells to break down, you know, why would one baby get more jaundice over another? That is a good question. And that is something I don't have uh, a complete answer to. And I don't know that anybody does. Because I'll tell you about, you know, some factors that might make a baby more jaundice or a baby less jaundice. But the truth is, we don't really know. And there's genetics and all kinds of other things that come into play. And you may know somebody or you may be somebody that has had seven babies all at home and none are jaundiced. Um, or, you know, you've had two C-section babies and they weren't or two C-section babies and they were or, you know, really, there isn't a one size fits all. This is more about understanding that it is normal if it does happen in a healthy situation and how to make sure that you don't get roped into um, any unnecessary antics. So let's see here. We've covered that the baby is supposed to break down more blood cells. And oh, this is this is one of my favorite parts, actually. And I learned this from Dr. Sarah Buckley in her book, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering, which is fabulous read must 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 read that one, that jaundice is actually protective. So I feel like I knew in my heart of hearts, even with my first baby, that she wasn't sick. I mean, obviously she wasn't. I don't remember really being worried about the jaundice. It was more having to go through these monkey antics with the doctors and the blood draws. Um, but I never thought about it until I read Sarah's book that why would jaundice be normal? You know, we know about physiological birth and why the hormones are so wonderful and protective and how they influence bonding and connection and all that stuff. So this is a similar situation. I don't believe that our babies become jaundiced um, just because they have extra red blood cells to break down. That's true. But why? 
You know, their bodies are wise, just as ours are. So jaundice is protective. It functions as an antioxidant. It prevents cell damage, uh, including the brain cells and the liver cells, which are super important, obviously, to everybody. Prevents damages to fats and regulates the use of oxygen in the body. So bilirubin also protects premature babies from eye disease. And I don't think I said that more premature babies will be jaundiced than full-term babies. I think it's 50% of full-term babies, 75% of preterm babies will be jaundiced. So isn't that cool? Extra protective for those premature babies. And it may also have bacterial protection. So how cool is that? Uh, our bodies really do know. And there is a reason that physiological jaundice exists. So... So some factors that might influence jaundice, so in other words, might make it worse, and um, really it's affecting the level of bilirubin. So that's the more technical way. Um, how does a baby get a higher bilirubin level? The higher the level, the more yellow they're going to look. There are a bunch of things, and again, these may or may not actually apply to your situation. Um, it's funny how it works. Um, but altitude, for example, is one thing. The higher altitude, well, that makes sense because, you know, baby will have, everybody would have a higher hemoglobin, higher iron count, more to break down. Um, a baby's weight, age, and gender. So smaller babies, newer babies, premature babies are going to have a harder time processing this bilirubin, probably because of limer, liver, excuse me, immaturity. Gender, uh, male babies seem to be more prone to jaundice. I don't know exactly why that is. Uh, an important point here about uh, bilirubin levels would be anything given to the mom in labor, drugs, you know, specifically, anything given to her, yeah, anything given to the baby at all, even after birth, vitamin K as well, anything that's going to challenge the baby's liver, because we know our livers process our toxins and drugs and such. So a baby that's given more to process is possibly going to be more jaundice. Now, again, um, I've spoken to many women that have had hospital births or epidurals and their babies don't get jaundice for whatever reason. Who knows why? Technically, a baby's liver should be having a harder time uh, releasing these drugs. And not to say it doesn't. It just may or may not affect what we're seeing on the skin, right? Because it's really what we're looking at, uh, unless we're drawing labs all the time. But we're talking here as parents, really, I think, just assessing our babies from the outside, unless we really need to do something else. Um, again, chemical exposure after birth, uh, bruising as a result of birth. So if a baby's had a rough birth, just for whatever reason, forceps, um, vacuum, the baby may be more jaundiced, and that would make sense. So again, that wouldn't be strange or, you know, mean the baby was sick. It would make sense. So you have a big bruise on your head. You're going to have more blood cells, red blood cells breaking down. And again, what does that mean? More bilirubin, uh, you know, more jaundice visually, possibly. The most important thing to mention here, and again, if you came away with nothing but that most jaundice is completely normal, is it is super, super duper related to breastfeeding and frequency of feeding. And that is what I see the most, you know, seeing these nice, gentle at-home births, um, that breastfeeding isn't always, you know, a piece of cake for many women or many babies. And if the baby is getting off to a rough start, 
you know, nature allows for that, really. We have colostrum, and a normal healthy baby can take a couple days to learn how to nurse. Um, but because the frequency might not be as much, the baby may not be getting as much, the baby may not be pooping and peeing as much because of those reasons, then you are most likely going to see jaundice in those babies. I think that's, that's what I've noticed the most. And, and in my own children as well. Um, you know, the ones that nurse really well and start pooping really soon, like right after birth with the meconium, the quicker they clear out the gut, the quicker they can, you know, get rid of this excess bilirubin. So they're holding it in there. You got a baby that doesn't poop because they're not getting intake. Then this bilirubin is being held in the gut. And, you know, it's definitely more likely to turn the skin yellow and even make them sleepy and that kind of thing. So Dr. Jack Newman is a breastfeeding doctor in Canada, and he is a great resource, I think, for breastfeeding in general. But I feel like I learned a lot from him just through his books and his website. And actually, he's really accessible even by email if you have a question. I feel like I learned a lot from him about jaundice. Uh, he calls it a breastfeeding problem which I totally agree with. For most normal healthy babies, if they truly are jaundiced, if they truly are yellow, and you know, it's, it's getting more serious than you want it to be, or you have a baby that is really super sleepy because of it, it's most likely a nursing problem. So um, not that you couldn't rule out other problems, but getting nursing help would be the most obvious thing. Because again, once that baby is really nursing, getting milk, getting colostrum, um, and excreting, you know, that, that bilirubin level is going to go down. So that is something important to know, I believe, as parents is, you know, you can't change uh, what is, so you can't make your baby nurse well, you know, just because you know about it, but possibly to have help on board if you are having problems nursing or if you anticipate problems nursing, just to get that off to a really good start and to have help, um, you know, because... Obviously, that's important anyway, jaundice aside. We want good nursing, good nursing in general. So there are a bunch of other things, you know, that may make a baby more jaundice that we don't really need to go into because, frankly, they're, they're um, atypical situations, you know, not typically normal, healthy situations. Um, but the ones I mentioned, such as just having stuff that the liver needs to process, breastfeeding is the hugest one. And the third very huge one that I will mention is the uh, subject of cord clamping. And I could probably do a whole podcast on cord clamping, and maybe I will. But today, I just want to say that whether you're having a home birth or a hospital birth, um, you need to understand what delayed cord clamping really is. If you look at medical literature, Delayed cord clamping can be two minutes. So to the medical world, waiting two minutes to cut to clamp and cut the cord is considered delayed. That's crazy. In my world, delayed is 40 minutes, one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. The reasoning is that the placenta and the baby still attached by their umbilical cord will regulate the amount of blood that the baby needs. So it's not just about the placenta draining into the baby. It's about the baby giving some back to the placenta um, and the flow and the way it works. And we don't know. That's the bottom line there. There is nobody that knows at what rate that happens, how it happens, why one baby would do it differently and take four hours to regulate that blood flow, why one baby would take 30 minutes. We don't know. So we cannot think of clamping that cord early 
And again, this would be more of a hospital situation. Although I have seen midwives clamp cords within 10 minutes and they think that's delayed, but that's insane. Um, do your research and let your baby get their third of their blood supply because if you clamp at two minutes or who knows when too early, uh, your baby will be denied that blood supply. And just think of that visual for a minute. Imagine losing a third of your blood supply right now. And well, one, probably how terrible you'd feel. But if you were a newborn in that situation, let's remind ourselves of what I said earlier, which is certain organs aren't being perfused when the baby is in utero. So when a baby's in the uterus, the, the organs like the liver um, specifically, they're not being given a blood supply yet. That's not the way the fetal circulation works. So when a baby comes to the outside, they need all of the blood they can get, and that is rightfully theirs, to get blood flowing through these organs. Because blood flow through our organs is what makes them work. They don't work without blood flow. So how is a new baby liver supposed to work when a third of the blood supply has been cut off? And on top of it, you know, this baby had drugs in labor and a million other things and isn't nursing well. This baby could be compromised for life, truly for life, because their initial perfusion of a really important organ didn't happen. So that is my very passionate, very short, actually, spiel about cord clamping is that we just don't do it. If you're going to have a hospital birth, I don't know what to tell you other than claim, you know, religious exemption or something like that and allow, allow as much time as you can get. Um, but ideally, you're at home and you're calling these shots. And even if you have a midwife that's really gung ho about clamping, you just don't. And she can leave you the scissor yourself. And when she goes away after three or four hours, you know, you and your family can decide when to clamp and cut. It is not rocket science. And at that point, you can be assured that most likely your baby got all of the blood that was his or hers and that your baby won't have any problems perfusing the liver and the brain and the heart and all the things that we need blood for. Uh, it's just wrong to take away a baby's blood supply. But back to the jaundice, um, you can see why this would make a baby even more yellow, perhaps. Although the medical world holds the opposite theory, funny enough, which is that delayed cord clamping um, causes jaundice. But it's just this really, um, just this really funny perspective, I think. You know, it's not that that's not true, but again, then we, we hamster wheel back to the fact that, well, jaundice is normal. So they're afraid of your baby getting physiological jaundice from delayed cord clamping, but you actually want that because you understand that it's normal and healthy. You know, so um, all jaundice is not created equal, just like, you know, pretty much nothing is. So I, I think they're referring to uh, physiological jaundice being pathological when that's not true. I mean, we can agree that patholog pathological jaundice in a newborn or an adult is not something we want. But again, it's just, it gets confusing um, because people use the same terms, but they don't have the same concepts uh, underlying their beliefs. So. Um, there, that's pretty much what I wanted to say. I'm going to see if there's anything else. So again, um, understand cord clamping, understand how the baby's body works to make jaundice normal and healthy. Understand that nursing does affect it and that you do want a baby that's normal, healthy, and nursing. If a baby truly isn't nursing, then that's something to look into. Uh, that's not normal really for a, a healthy newborn. So a baby could be compromised. The baby could have an infection if they're truly, truly not interested. 
Um, having trouble nursing is different, I think, than being not interested. Some babies just have to get the hang of it, and moms and babies have to get the hang of it. But again, it can affect the jaundice levels. And with those babies, if a baby's truly not getting milk, but is healthy and normal, is just having trouble, then, you know, that's the time for lactation consultants and help and, and getting the baby milk, however the baby needs to get it, even if it's dropper fed for a couple days as you work on nursing. So I'm going to see here in my little presentation if there's anything super fascinating. Um, lab values, you know, if you go into a pediatrician with a normal healthy baby that's slightly jaundiced on day three of life or day four, because that's when it would peak, usually starts around day three, peaks around day five. Um, if you bring a baby to a pediatrician during that time with normal, healthy, physiological jaundice, you can't be promised that they won't freak out. Now, again, maybe in your, your town, that's not the case. And I'm the one sounding crazy, but here that would, they would freak out and, and order a bilirubin, um, you know, total serum bilirubin screen. And then, you know, you have to wait for the lab results and then you kind of wait in horror, I think, because, um, they're determining at that point if the level's too high for their liking and what they're going to do about it. And again, here we've had parents, um, threatened with CPS for not wanting to treat bilirubin levels. And that's just insane to me. So best not to get in that situation in the first place, unless you're really worried about something. Uh, there is something called breast milk jaundice. I'm just going to mention that sort of briefly. So, you know, this is a little trickier, perhaps, to assess on your own. Breast milk jaundice is something that sets in later on the baby. So the baby has that same yellowish look, but it usually doesn't set in until between the third and seventh day, maybe a little later even. So it's a delayed onset. And it is also a normal variation. It's just, you know, they don't even know why exactly. Some babies uh, might have trouble processing something in breast milk. It might be an interaction between mom and baby in breast milk. But breast milk jaundice, as it's known, it's kind of a terrible name, uh, again, is normal. And the way you would know this is the baby's fine. The baby is slightly yellow. Uh, at that delayed onset, three to seven days after birth. But the baby's nursing and pooping and peeing and happy and alert and healthy and there's nothing wrong. So again, that one may be trickier if you're just concerned about the color. Um, and you know, there's always other possibilities. If a baby becomes jaundiced later in life, that again, there is something not good going on. But you have to tune into your baby and assess that. And again, I think... Um, you can get there if you don't think you can, you can, where you, you know, you connect with your baby and you assess what's going on and the baby's pink and nursing and well, you know, pink everywhere else. Um, but just healthy and, and doing everything that their body should do so that you wouldn't necessarily freak out about breast milk jaundice. The first time I ever saw breast milk jaundice was in a wonderful client that, uh, they're still very good friends. And this was about five years ago. Um, but the mom had had a couple babies, and she was very confident that the baby was absolutely fine. I will admit, I was quite freaked out that this baby remained yellow into six weeks of life. I had never seen that before. You know, she was referred to a pediatrician just because I didn't want to miss anything. And there was nothing anybody could do. And the parents stood really strong saying, there's nothing wrong with her. 
And, you know, indeed, it was just breast milk jaundice, whatever that means. And after six weeks of life, it slowly went away. And she's a normal, healthy, beautiful five-year-old. It's just the way it went for them. So it was great having that experience. Uh, These parents recognized that their baby was healthy. And they weren't freaked out by the yellow color. And they weren't freaked out by, um, you know, anybody's bad advice, even if it was mine. If breast milk jaundice actually does come up, and again, it's just a terrible name, it affects about 2 to 4% of babies, and it may persist as long as 12 weeks. So not that many babies, really, but you know, it could happen, and 12 weeks is quite a long time. But breastfeeding should never be stopped. So hopefully, you know that I would probably never recommend stopping breastfeeding, but you could run into somebody that does. And truly, they're right in the sense that if the baby is having trouble processing something in the breast milk, that stopping breastfeeding would lower the bilirubin levels. But we don't want to do that. That's not the solution because there's not really a problem. There's not really a problem with physiological jaundice, even if it's of this breastfeeding variety. We do not want to stop breastfeeding. That would be the worst thing we could do for the baby's gut uh, as far as processing the bilirubin. So just a couple things. What can we do if we think our babies are jaundice and we know they're not sick, but it's just normal physiological jaundice. Should we do anything? You know, should we do any natural treatments to help them process the bilirubin or should we just wait it out? And I think that is totally individual. On one hand, as I've said 10 times already, this is a normal process. So do we really need to help it out with anything? I think that begs answering. Uh, I don't know if you want to, I suppose. But if you trust the process and the baby's fine and you can actually see the yellowishness getting less each day, then probably not. You probably don't need to intervene, even in a natural way. But here are some ways in case you do want to intervene or maybe somebody's getting on your back about it. I mean, that's a terrible reason, really. But, you know, we've all been there. Could be your mom, could be your mother-in-law, could be this pediatrician saying you need to get the levels down before they want to do phototherapy. So what can we do? Uh, Some of these are just repeat. We need to have term babies. You know, we need to be healthy in our pregnancies. I know this isn't exactly a intervention um, at birth. I'm just kind of backtracking, you know, let's have a gentle birth, let's not have complications if we can help it. Um, let's, let's have the bonding that's optimum with baby, let's be skin to skin, so that our breast milk comes in quick and swiftly and wonderfully. Because again, the more nursing, the more pooping and the less jaundice. Do not give the baby a bath. Do not wash off the vernix. Vernix can be really uh, protective and wonderful as well. And there's some evidence to show that that reduces bilirubin levels. Um, there are some homeopathics. I am not an expert on homeopathics at all, but you could consult somebody if you wanted to kind of get on that, even before birth, if you wanted to have some around. Gentle liver massage on the baby. I mean, gentle, gentle, just some, you know, olive oil over the liver, which is the under the ribs on the right side. Very, very gentle. Just give your baby a nice massage. You know, can help that liver out. Vitamin E on your nipples uh, before the baby nurses. And really pure, obviously. You know, go to go to great lengths to just get uh, pure vitamin E. No additives. You don't want to give your baby anything else. Um, you, the mom, could drink citrus, wild geranium, nettles infusions, catnip. All of those herbal infusions are shown to possibly, possibly help the baby process this bilirubin. 
Probiotics for the baby. I like that idea. And I actually do do that for my babies, jaundice or not, just to help them colonize their new gut. I get baby powder probiotics and I wash my hands and I lick my finger and I put um, my finger into the probiotics and then let the baby suck it off. So that's doing two things, colonizing the baby with, you know, my germs, frankly, and what's around our house. Um, and then also, you know, the the bacteria that's in the probiotics. And probiotics for anybody, and you can just see it so easily on a baby, will make them poop for most people. And babies are just, you know, so new and fresh. So that gets them pooping as well. Um, essential oils, I do like geranium. And again, this is medicinal. Medicinal strength qualities is not just go to Whole Foods and buy, you know, some mixed up geranium. Get something good. And geranium is also great for moms after birth, just realigning the hormones on the belly. So I always have a good quality geranium around and just a couple drops on the bottoms of the baby's feet, two drops on each feet, uh, each foot, sorry, um, maybe once or twice a day really helps process the bilirubin. And I learned that from those uh, parents that had the breastfeeding jaundice baby about five years ago. That's a wonderful trick. And just reflexology on the baby's feet. So babies are really sensitive. And even if you don't know what reflexology is, you know, just rubbing the baby's feet on the soles of the feet, going to stimulate points in the liver, going to stimulate points in the digestive system to help them release that bilirubin. So those are some ideas. There's probably a million more. And again, it's just thinking whether or not that's something you do want to do in a normal situation, but can't hurt to know about them, especially if you have history of jaundice babies. Uh, you can kind of be prepared. So just a couple of minutes here. This is getting long. Um, the phototherapy, you know, a baby born at home might go in for a pediatric visit and suddenly, you know, they want you to come home with these lights, these phototherapy lights, and they act like, at least they do here, they act like they're no big deal. You know, you just come home, put your baby under the light, Billy Rubin goes down, you're done, fixed. Well, obviously you're questioning why you want the Billy Rubin level to go down so fast and so, um, you know, violently, really, if this is a normal process and your baby's healthy, why would you need to bring home a light and like zap this level down, you know, just to make someone feel better? That's most most of the time the case. Uh, because truly, if your baby was sick, you would have your baby in the hospital, right? You wouldn't just be like doing this at home, I don't think. Um, but these, these lights have risks. And I'm sure you can imagine why uh, they're very hot. Um, you know, they can hurt the baby's eyes. I don't think we really know all the risks, to be honest. One of the biggest risks, which I'm sure you'll identify with, is that when a baby's put under these lights, even if it's at home, they're taken away from you and they're not nursing. And how backwards is that? When all this baby needs is skin to skin and nursing and milk, the baby's being taken away, wrapped up in something artificial and put under a light. You know, that's you got to weigh your uh, benefits and risks here. And again, with a baby that isn't sick, I think that's a pretty big risk um, to take them away from everything they need to normally process the bilirubin. So um, the last thing, you know, just to give you some perspective, what are people worried about? You know, is it just the liability? Is it, why is there so much fear around this issue? And we talked a little bit about that in the beginning, but the last thing to mention is, you know, you'll hear somebody at their extreme, or maybe it's something you read on the internet, um, that jaundice can cause brain damage. You know, I always remember hearing that before I knew anything about it. 
Um, yes, that's true. Severe jaundice, when, the, when somebody is really sick and it's pathological, can cause brain damage. And that disease process is called kernicterus. And it's really, really rare. Uh, it's about one in 100,000 babies. And there's a million things that would go into that as well. Um, although I will say that the incidence of kernicterus has risen since, um, you know, cord clamping, immediate cord clamping was recommended. So isn't that freaky? Uh, it has gone up since then because we know that, you know, we know, at least on my side of things, we do know babies need that extra blood. And when they're not getting it, it's possible they get really sick. So um, it's not to say kernicterus can't happen, but that is a pretty severe disease process. And it isn't just going to come out of the sky on day three and strike down a normal baby. That's just not the way it works. Um, it is going to happen slowly. There are going to be signs. You're going to have a really sick, unhappy baby that is, is exhibiting severe signs of sickness. Um, all kinds of tone problems and screaming and fever. And I can imagine that it's just awful and terrible. And that is, um, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but that is jaundice at its worst. That is a disease process. Um, that is not what we're talking about in most babies. It's just not. So, you know, to have that understanding, I think is helpful because if somebody tries to scare you that, oh, you know, you're sitting there with your normal three, three day old baby with yellow eyes, uh, that your baby's at risk for brain damage, you can literally laugh because that most likely is not even close to the truth. So, there you go. Pretty passionate podcast today. I hate to see families, um, you know, being pushed into fear during this time of their lives when they're on this high and everything is great and there is no reason to be worried. Um, I do, you know, trust that most people will make the choices that are right for them. But we do have to know what we're getting into in certain situations. We do have to know because it's so easy with a newborn baby, especially with your first, to be frightened and to have somebody say, you know, what I just said, which is, oh, that baby's at risk for brain damage. When you could sit there and, and think that's reasonable. And of course, who would want their baby to be brain damaged? So I'm trying to uh, give you information here that will give you some confidence. And um, even if it gives you enough confidence to say to a doctor or somebody, excuse me while I research that or excuse me while we talk about that, you know, don't be scared into anything immediate. Um, especially a jaundice treatment, because it is serious. There are natural things you can do. And again, do you need to do anything? I think that is the underlying question there. So thanks for listening today. I hope you got a lot out of that and that your wonderful newborn is happy and healthy. And so are you. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to visit IndieBirth.com. We have so many free resources over there. Uh, all the podcasts that we've done are actually listed there. For some reason, iTunes isn't listing all of the ones that I've done. So it looks like I've only done a couple, but we've done probably over 20 by now. They're all available for free, currently at least, on the IndieBirth site. We have classes, um, paid and otherwise. We have free consults and paid consults. And we just generally are here to help you walk this path and make your own choices. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.